Something I love about bluegrass is, is the way it points us to Jesus and the way or to heaven and the way it reminds us of that day when we will be in heaven. And the way that it, it, it helps us to, to remember those who have gone on this morning as we were singing, you had to think, you know, so what's, what's my dad experiencing right now in, in, in the beauty of heaven and being with Jesus and Brian and John and, you know, those people that we have lost, that we love, that we know that are in the presence of Jesus. And, and that heaven is where they are and heaven is where we are going. But, you know... Heaven isn't just for those who are there and those of us who are followers of Christ who are going. And, and who are those people in my life that, that I need to introduce to Jesus so they can experience heaven one day too? And, and who are the people that, that, God is in, that, that God is bringing into my lives that, that I need to be sowing gospel seeds into? People who I need to be telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we get, I get so caught up in, in celebrating heaven and, and who is there and, and the fact that I'm going, I lose sight of the fact that there are those who are not going that I know. And, and God giving us a, a real deep desire to share the good news of Jesus for those who aren't going. And our responsibility as the Fairlawn men in that church, as followers of Christ, to, to sow those gospel seeds. And we're in a, uh, uh, the final two weeks of this series, Kingdom Call, Sowing Gospel Seeds. In this season that we've been in over these last five weeks of, of, of hearing God together. And, and asking God what, what each one of us should or is God is calling us to commit to, to this possible expansion project, this, this capital campaign, and, and, and really inviting you to, to just listen. And what is God asking me to contribute? And so next week, we're, we're going to be making those commitments. Uh, but before we get into, into the message too far, I want to introduce you to to Eden Hirschberger, and then I want to tell a little bit of, of her story. Let, let's meet Eden. Uh, my name is Eden Hirschberger. Um, my mom and dad are Carrie and Junior Hirschberger. I know Fairlawn has really changed my life. Um, I'm not exactly sure where I would be if I wouldn't have had Fairlawn. We've been going to Fairlawn for about two, three years now, and we really like Fairlawn. I go to Garraway High School in Sugar Creek, and I like showing 4-H animals. So about a year ago, I started raising my 4-H steer, and I took him to the fair, and he did really good. So Eden took her steer to the, four, to the fair, and she says she did really well. What Eden doesn't tell you is, you know, several months ago, back in the fall, when we first started talking about the possibility of building a building, um, Eden had sold her steer. She got a, a, a nice hunk of money for her steer, over $5,000. And she asked her mom and dad what she should do with this $5,000, uh, what she should be tithing, how she should be giving her tithe. 
And so um, Junior and Kara just, just told her, you pray about it. And, and, and you ask God what you should do with, uh, with your tithe. And so Eden began to pray. And she began to ask God what she should do. She talked to some of her junior high leaders and some other people. And, and one Sunday morning, she uh, walked up to Corey. And she said, here, I want to be the first person to give to the capital campaign, to this building project. And she handed him an envelope. Um, you know, Corey thought, you know, here's a, a junior high kid. You know, that's a really cute gesture. And he took it back to his office. And the next day, he, he, he opened it up. And here, Eden had, had given over $500 to the building project. And so Eden is the first giver to our capital campaign and is a good example for us to follow of, of asking God what we should do with what we have. Because I believe when we, when we have a desire to hear God, when we want to hear him speak, I believe he speaks to us. I believe he speaks to us through his word. I believe he speaks to us through other people. I believe he speaks to us through his still, small voice. Jeremiah says that if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And so when we ask God to speak, I believe he speaks. And when he speaks, we have a responsibility to respond to what he speaks to us. Because just hearing isn't enough. I think, I think we have this desire to, to hear from God. For God to speak to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit. But I don't think we always want to do what God invites us into. You know, Eden heard what God said, and she was obedient. And when you look throughout Scripture, you see God speaking to people, and you see their obedience. You, know, you think about Noah. When God came to Noah and said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Because sometimes when God speaks to us, it doesn't make sense. God told Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build this big boat out in the middle of nowhere. They had never seen rain before. They had never seen a flood before. And God said, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Noah didn't ask questions. Noah was just obedient, and he built an ark. Although I'm sure there were times he wondered what he was doing. But he, he recognized that obedience was more important than understanding why he was doing this. Abraham. God came to Abraham and said, go. Go to a country that I will show you. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't even know exactly why he was going. He just knew that the God of the universe said, Abraham, go. So Abraham went. And, and all through scripture, you think of, you think of, 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 um, of Joshua. You know, Joshua is, is following Moses. Moses dies, and now, now Joshua is responsible for, for these billions of, of grumbling Israelites. And, and God says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to take these people, and I want you to cross the Jordan River, and I want you to take the land that I have promised you. Joshua didn't know what was on the other side. He didn't know how his people would respond. He just knew this is what God said. 
And God several times says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be very strong, be very courageous. And Joshua was. You see, following God, when he invites us into something, requires us to be courageous. Sometimes more courageous than others. And so, so all through scripture, Noah, Jeremiah, um, Abraham, Joshua, Nehemiah, David. You know, David, David wanted to build a temple for God. God, God looked at, at David, and, and, and actually David had told Nathan his, his desire to build God a temple because he lived in a palace and God didn't have a temple. And Nathan said, that's a great idea. But that night God spoke to David and said, or spoke to Nathan and said, Nathan, go tell David that he is not going to build a temple. His son will build a temple. But, but David still, in spite of that, David decided he could do his part. So he put into motion this, this campaign to raise funds for a temple. And God did an incredible work because, because David was faithful. Because, because David, um, David made a sacrifice. David took a risk. Joshua made a sacrifice. He took a risk. They had faith. But each one of us should on a regular basis be asking God the question, God, what do you want from me? What is your plan for me? And when it comes to this, this whole idea of a capital campaign and, and of raising funds for, for, for sowing gospel seeds, for expanding the kingdom in this community and in our world, all of us has to have, have to ask the question, God, what do you want from me? And so how do, I, how do I know how much to give or whether to give? I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to be starting in, in verse 6. This is, this is Paul telling the Corinthian church, help them to understand the process of how you give. And so this is what Paul says to the Corinthian church. Beginning in verse 6, he says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has sacrificed abroad his gifts to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply the increase, to increase your store of seeds and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Lord, would you show us through your word um, what you desire from each one of us? Uh, would you open our eyes to see the things that, that your 
servant Paul said through your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what I see here, first of all, is, is the principle that Paul is trying to teach us. And the principle that he's teaching us is verse 6, that whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. In other words, sow little, reap little. Sow a lot, you reap a lot. A farmer every spring has a decision to make. He has to decide whether he is going to have faith to plant his seed. And so, so farmers get their equipment ready and, and they look for the day when, when their ground is, is ready to start, to start working and preparing it for the seed. And then they have to one day make the decision, will I plant seed or won't I? Because when the farmer plants seed, you see when Johnny Weaver, when, when, when he goes out in his field and he plants corn and soybeans, he's not guaranteed necessarily that, that the... the the weather is going to cooperate. He doesn't know if it's going to rain enough or, or maybe too much or, or he just doesn't know. So, so, so farmers plant by faith. But they also understand that if they don't plant any seed, they shouldn't expect any harvest in the fall. And so a farmer every year by faith plants his seed. And Harlan Nunes-Wander, who is a farmer here, and whenever he gets dry out or he gets too wet out, I'll ask him if, he gets, if he's concerned. He says, well, it's always worked out in the past. I'm sure it's going to work out again this year. And so they have faith that, that their seed will grow. And so when fall comes, the farmer is always glad that he, or most of the time, he is glad that he has planted seed. And... The amount of the harvest plant uh, uh, depends largely on how much seed he's planted. If he's been skimpy with his seed, his harvest won't be as good as if he has been generous with, with planting his seed. And so what Paul is saying here is, is our giving is much like a farmer sowing seed. That we have to have faith that, that our giving will produce a harvest. And oftentimes we approach giving with a pretty conservative attitude. And, and, and sometimes we feel like, well, well, giving just, it doesn't make sense. Sometimes with the farmer, planning doesn't make sense, but they do it anyway. You see, so we, we have this idea that, that, that look, I've got, I've got bills to pay, okay? So, you know, I've got a mortgage, I've got car payments, I've got medical bills, I've got kids in school, and, and, and maybe when I get a raise or when my kids get out of school or, or, or this medical bill is paid, then I will begin to be generous with what I've been given. If I had a lot of money, if I won the lottery, I would give a lot. And so we wait. We wait to be generous. But I believe when we wait to be generous, I believe our harvest is affected. 
by the amount of, of seed that we scatter. Our harvest is affected, and, and the principle, if you sow a lot of seed, spread it around with, with, with a bountiful heart and a, and a joyful heart, you're going to reap a harvest. What you give, you end up receiving. The generous person does receive blessing from God. Jesus says in, in, in Luke 6, 38, he says, given it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. In other words, God will bless you richly for what you give. Now, right now I'm sensing some real tension of what I've just said. I think there's two reasons that we, we get really uncomfortable when we start teaching about our giving producing a harvest. You see, this, this teaching that, that, that Paul gives us, that we see throughout Scripture, this principle of sowing and reaping has been hijacked by false teachers, by people who, who take this truth and turn it into a formula for financial prosperity. In other words, they say, look, if you give $100, I guarantee you that you will get $1,000 back. It's the name it and claim it gospel. And this teaching that really makes me angry because it takes advantage of lots of people elevates money above the importance of of God, and, and, the, and it devalues God, turning God into this, this celestial slot machine. And so we don't want to associate with this type of teaching. But the reality is that this is in God's word. And so we have to believe and trust what his word says. So I believe wrong teaching causes us to be uncomfortable when we start talking about sowing and, and harvesting. But I, I think, too, that there's this lack of trust that, that exists in our hearts at times. See, we, we, we fear that, that God won't hold up to his end of the deal so that when I give generously, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Um, God's not going to be able to, to, to give me what I need if I give too much. And, and as a result, instead of us giving generously, we give just enough to ease our conscience, but never enough to really sacrifice. I mean, when really was the last time, and some of you, I believe, do, you give sacrificially. You give, in the, in, in, and as a result, there are things that you can't do or you give up. When 
was the last time I gave sacrificially? That, that my giving cost me something. So we, we ease our conscience, but we never sacrifice. And so when you give that way, you end up receiving that way. That's the principle here. So how does Paul explain this? Verse 7. He says, this is how you decide what to give. He says, each man, each person, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I see three things in there that, that Paul is teaching. First of all, he says, each man should give what he has decided to give. So, so giving is a, is a deeply personal thing. It's something that each one of us must decide in our hearts how much or what and where to give. Doesn't matter what other people say. Doesn't matter how much other people or how much or how little they give. This is something that, that I must process with God. And so, so not only is it personal, but, but I believe giving should be prayerfully considered. He says each man should give, what does it say? What he has decided in his heart to give. And, and how do we know what to give is we present that to God and we, we, we take time being quiet and listening to what he says. And as we engage God in prayer in his word, I believe he begins to prepare our hearts to give the things that, that he's inviting us into. You see, giving never happens accidentally. We don't all of a sudden one day accidentally become generous givers. Being a generous giving is something that we do very intentionally and very prayerfully, allowing God to give us insight into what he wants us to give. And when we hear from God, then we must respond to God. So it's personal, it's prayerful, and then he says giving should be cheerful. He says, we shouldn't give reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's sometimes, I think, where, where we stumble, is, is we give what we think we're expected to give, but, but we don't give it cheerfully. We give it because we have to. We give it, like I said, to ease our conscience, and, there, and then our giving is anything but cheerful. Actually, that word cheerful in the Greek is hilaros, which we get our word hilarious from. And so, so what Paul is saying, look, be a hilarious, happy, generous giver, somebody that loves to give. And that laughs when they give. I very seldom see people laughing when they put money in the offering plate. But that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, be a hilarious, generous giver. Be happy. Be glad that God has enabled you to give. 
See, how you give, the attitude of your heart when you give is critically important when you give. You see, if we if we don't give cheerfully, I believe we lose the, the blessing of giving. Paul says in verse eight, then he says, God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. I like where the NLT says in that New Living Translation, and God will generously provide all you need. So Paul's saying, look, if you give generously, if you give cheerfully, he will provide generously everything that you need. And he said, actually, he says, he will give in abundance. The New says, plenty for, for your own pleasure, for your own, for your own joy. No, it says, you have plenty left over to share with others. You see, God doesn't raise our when, 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 when we increase in, when our value goes up or when we make more money or, or we become richer and richer, God doesn't raise our, our finances for our own benefit, to raise our standard of living. He raises it for our standard of giving. And so when, when we, when we, receive more income, when, when we become more successful, is that so that we can have and own more things and more stuff? No. There's nothing wrong with stuff. As long as that stuff isn't what, I, what that stuff becomes your identity and who you are and and, and stuff and, and status becomes, becomes the most important thing. He has blessed us in America so that we can share with others. So how do you become a generous giver? If it doesn't happen by accident, how do you do this? And I think the way that we become generous givers is we start to give generously. You know, when Joshua was, was leading the children of Israel over the Jordan River into the promised land to do battle, he said, walk up to and, and, and the, the Jordan River was at flood stage, so you weren't just going to walk across. He, he told the priests that were carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant, he said, he said, when you get there, put your foot in the river. And when you put your foot in the river, the river will part, and you will walk across. But, but they had to have the faith 
that when they put their foot in the water, that the river would part. Not before that. You see, and I think, I think being generous works the same way. If we want to know what, what generosity feels like, if we want to know how God provides for our needs, then we begin to become generous. We put our foot in the water, and we wait for God to lead us to what is next. And when we are generous, it's not always going to, to translate to financial gain. There are actually greater things that we experience than financial gain. I remember when we did the last campaign back in, in 2008 or 9, the first one, there was one family that, that said, you know, we're going to cancel our cable and we're going to take all the money from our cable TV and we're going to give it to the campaign. Now, if we all did that, that'd be great. But here, here's what happened. They, they said sometime later, they, they said canceling cable TV and, and giving it to the campaign was one of the greatest blessings that we ever experienced. And here's how. He said, we, when we turn the TV off, we, we decide we're going to, to have game nights and we're going to play games together as a family. And we're going to connect as a family. And we're going to do family activities to replace the times that, that we spent watching TV. And I said, it was, it was the best thing that our family ever did. Had nothing to do with the money. Had everything to do with how God came into their lives and blessed them for being faithful by increasing the, 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 the closeness of their family. So, so generosity doesn't always equate to financial gain. Oftentimes it's more beautiful than financial gain. It's knowing that you did what God invited you into. You were faithful, you were obedient in what he asked you to do. I think when we become generous givers, God will. Paul says this. He says, he will provide all you need and more so that you can share with others. And he says in verse 9, he says that, that when you share freely and you give generously to the poor, he said, your good deeds will be remembered Forever. 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 And here's the promise that Paul gives to the church in Corinth. He says, now, he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, this is verse 10, will supply and increase your, your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of righteousness. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. God always provides seed for sowing 
and bread for food, is what he says here. And then it's in verse 10, he says, and he will supply and will increase and will enlarge your harvest. He will multiply it. He will increase your harvest of righteousness. The New Living says he will provide and increase your resources, then produce a greater harvest of generosity in you. In other words, what Paul's saying is, look, as you give and become more generous, you will desire to give and to continue to be more and more and more generous. Verse 11, he says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you will be generous. And when you, when we take your gifts to those in need, they will thank God. You see, when we give generously, three things happen. When we give generously, the one who receives the gift will be blessed because their need was met. The one who gives is blessed with an increased harvest of blessing from God. And God himself is glorified as the giver and the receiver together thank him. See, Ultimately, what it comes down to is when we are generous givers, God is glorified. God is glorified. And ultimately, the reason we exist is to glorify God. Generous giving glorifies God. It meets the needs of people and it glorifies a holy God. I love the way Paul ends this section of scripture in verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He's saying, Jesus was God's gift to us. God gave us his very best. And anything I do pales in comparison to what he gave me. Therefore, my attitude should be that I will not hold back. I will not be stingy. I will be a generous giver because my God was a generous giver and he sent his son into the world to forgive me of my sins so that I could have eternal life. So how can I then turn around and be stingy in what he's given me? I must follow his example. And be committed to being a cheerful giver. And this is our commitment. This is what Paul is saying. This commitment, our giving is personal, it's prayerful, and it's cheerful. That's what we're asking. All we're asking you to do is, is, is to come before God and say, God, show me how I ought to give. What my portion of giving is in this 
season at Fairlawn Mennonite Church. You know, as you came in, you should have received uh, this kingdom call, this, this, this pledge card, a commitment card, and, and you know, they've been around for the last couple of weeks. And so what we're asking you to do is next Sunday is, is Celebration Sunday. Um, we're having one service. We're going to set up more chairs in here so that we can fit everybody in. It's not going to be Bluegrass Sunday. It's Celebration Sunday. And then we're going, but we are going to do a lot, spend a lot of time just in worship. And we're asking you to, just to report back to us what God has spoken to you. On these cards, and these cards are important because we will, we will base our um, timeline on how much is, uh, how much is pledged. And we won't borrow more than what is pledged. And so we're asking you to next week come back with these pledge cards ready to, 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 to pledge what God has laid on your heart. There again, we wanna, I want to make sure you understand that, that all we're asking is that you are obedient to what God is inviting you into. And when, when we get the numbers for, from next week of what, of what God has spoken to you, and in the weeks and months ahead, then, then we'll make our decision on, on, on when and how we start. But not before that. Because we want to hear what God has spoken to you. And, and never think that, that too little or too much, you can never give too little or too much if this is what God has spoken to you. If God has asked you to give a million or two million dollars, then, then, then you do that. If God has asked you to give $10 or $20, then you do that. And I really want to encourage, look, if you get an allowance or you have a job as a, as a, as a, a young person, then you need to ask God, what portion of that should I be giving? If it's $5, you know, at the last campaign, we had people pledging $5, but it was their portion. You know, Jesus one time was, uh, was in the t- at the temple with his, with his disciples, and, and they were watching people give. It was, it was sort of, of a teaching moment for his, for his disciples, and, and as they were watching people give, putting money in this collection box, it says that this, this poor widow came up and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, let me tell you something. I said, this poor widow, she gave more than the rest of them. More than anybody else that, that filed through this line and put their money in the, in, the, uh, in the collection box. Because here's why. For they gave a tiny portion of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, gave everything she had. You see, your giving isn't gauged by the amount that you give. It's gauged by the attitude in which you give it. 
You know, in the last campaign, we had people, I said, we had people giving, giving up cable TV. We had them giving up um, other types of things like, this is something you could do yourself. You could give up Starbucks for a year and start to drink Folgers. What you would find out, I think, is that, thank you, Caitlin. You'd, first of all, you'd find out that Folgers is just as good as Starbucks. But it's, it's, it's getting creative with things like that. What can I give up in order to give to God? Those are some things that, that for us to ask ourselves. And then when we come together next Sunday, we are going to celebrate whatever God spoke. No number is going to be too small for us to celebrate, I don't think, because, because here's what I believe. I believe that the Fairlong Mennonite Church has listened, has sought the face of God, and is reporting back what he has said. And we can't argue against that. So we will celebrate next Sunday what God is doing and will continue to do. And so come back and enjoy a great celebration and, and, and let us know what God spoke to you in these six weeks. Let's pray. God, thanks for, thanks for the way you bless us. Thanks for the way you've given You've given us so much. You, you, you gave us your best. You gave us your son. And Father, I pray that I would, I'd be willing to give you my best. I'd be willing to sacrifice. I'd be willing to, uh, to, to trust you that if you give me uh, if you show me what I ought to give, that you will also provide a way to give it. Father, I just, I pray ultimately through this process and this journey that we're on together, uh, Lord, we would glorify you. Lord, we would, um, we, would, we would continue to plant gospel seeds we would continue to be passionate about, about introducing people to Jesus. We would be passionate about discipling new believers and growing believers. And Lord, you would be glorified through it.